Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hello, and today I'm so proud to have a sponsor that I've been just um, exhilarated about telling you. It is the Dallas Regional Chamber. DRC is one of the most established business organizations in the nation, and it serves the voice of businesses and the champion of economic development in the Dallas region. The goal is to make Dallas the best place in the U.S. to live, to work, and to do business. Now, one of the many initiatives that the DRC has is to support and launch the growth of innovative ventures by connecting entrepreneurs and innovators and researchers and the business community. What's happening at Comerica Bank is an example of innovation. There is a new fully automated banking center at Snyder Plaza, and that's at 6829 Hillcrest in Dallas. And this bank uh, is a new venture for Comerica and a really good example of innovation. So to tell us about this new innovation is A.J. Javed, and he's one of the youngest assistant vice presidents at Comerica, and now he's serving as the branch manager at this new location that opened on June 10th. So, A.J., welcome, and Thank tell you. us about this exciting, innovative idea in banking. What's happening? Thank you so much, Valerie, for having me on your show. Yes. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about this. So, Comerica Bank, what we're doing is we're blending technology with what our philosophy of banking is, and that is relationship banking. So, what does that mean for the consumer? Yes, what does it mean? <laughs> so, it means you get access to someone like myself, um, a trusted advisor, someone who's really going to take the time to listen to you, ask questions, understand what maybe some of your financial goals are, your needs are, and we build a plan accordingly. So, we don't really have a, a cookie cutter mold of how each client interaction is. Um, we really take the time to listen to each and every client and, you know, figure out what financial things or benefits we can offer them. Now that's so, if I walk in and I've got a real person. Yeah. So what's the technology part of it? So the technology part of it is just having more access to the day-to-day -day services a consumer may do on their banking. So for instance, if you go to a bank and you make deposits mm -hmm. or you cash a check, maybe you interact with a teller who's there. Now I have the ability for you to interact with a teller, but it's an interactive teller. So what that is, is it's actually oh. a virtual terminal, which allows you to do transactions like you would at a normal bank but with extended hours so my clients can come to the bank at, from 7 o'clock in the morning till 9 p.m. at night Monday through Friday mm -hmm. and then on Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. so yeah so when I so when I'm working with this teller mm -hmm. 
what am I seeing? What's in front of me? It's actually a live person, Valerie. It so, really is. Yeah, it's a real person. It's not All AI. those hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we will have someone there. You'll, you'll click the screen. They'll come up. You'll be able to talk to them, um, ask them questions. It's a live person. It's not like a virtual AI simulation. It's a real person oh, out there good. that okay. we're, we're using to assist you. I like real people. Yeah. <laughs> so are you saying I have a choice that I can come to you and maybe a few others or what will i see when i walk into that bank that's different so when you walk in you'll be greeted by someone either me or one of my team members mm -hmm. will take the time to understand what we can do to help you that day so whether you're doing a transaction that simply requires the interactive teller or maybe you need some guidance we're there to help you so you do have a choice to answer your question if you mm. want to have that face-to-face -face interaction with me you're, you're able to do that um, i tell people it's sort of a hybrid of both so i like to to do the interaction or the introduction with my clients so i'll walk them over to the terminal sort of introduce them to the technology but let them know that hey i'm still here i'm still standing right next to you i'll get your feedback we can sit down any general banking questions you have or if you just want to have a nice chat i'm always available so <laughs> i bet you are yeah. always available <laughs> you know this reminds me a little bit of of when i go to some grocery stores and i want to check out myself i, I want to take advantage of the technology and there's always someone a person that's over there kind of making sure that I'm being serviced. Mm -hmm. So what makes this new and innovative for Comerica? So what makes it new is, you know, this type of technology, it, it's not new to banking. No. It's new to Comerica's in the sense that we we still value the face-to-face -face interaction with our clients. And I want to make sure I make it clear that, you know, we're just giving access to technology to help people in the situation they can't make it to the bank by 6 o'clock at night. That or maybe sense. you work early in the morning and you need to get in right at 7 to mm -hmm. take care of a transaction. At least you have options. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, our philosophy is to build on the interaction so talking with our clients keeping in touch with our clients calling them emailing them i text clients um really I, yeah i i have really an open door policy with my clients because i understand the service i offer is offered by a lot of people but what differentiates it is me so the interaction I have with my clients, the way they feel, how happy they are, um, their feedback, I, I understand that's very important in my industry. So every interaction I have with a client, I, I consider it to be like with a family member. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to take a real personal investment in those interactions because I feel personally obligated to do what's best. You know, uh, the, uh, again, it's, it's a good tie-in to the DRC because what I know in being a part of that organization in, uh, as a member is that they take a very personal approach too, whether it's economic development or whether it's uh, education or all of the innovation that's going on in Dallas. And so what's missing today so much, AJ, is that personal touch. Now you're a millennial. I am. <laughs> and do you think that people who are not that are older than millennials are more likely to take advantage of this technology or less likely or does it matter i don't think it really matters valerie i i had a 
I don't want to say a stigma, but I had a perception of the technology myself. You did. I felt that, you know, maybe the older generation, you know, your baby boomers, your generation Y, maybe they won't adapt it as quickly as my generation, the generation mm-hmm. that grew up with computer classes or iPads or all this technology at our disposal. I was completely wrong. Some of the clients that I've had for years love it. They love that they have options. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, if I, you know, maybe want to come into the bank later or maybe I just want to get in and out, I have the ability to do that. So I really think there is no age limit. There is no generation gap for adopting it. It's sort of like uh, I compare it to the transition of pagers to cell phones. So people, true. so people relied on pagers completely back uh-huh. on the day. Now that we have a cell phone, very rarely do you see a pager. So it's just an evolution of an industry, um, giving your consumer more options. So I've seen people from all walks of life love it. Well, um, that makes sense. And, and it, yeah, anything we can do to make life simpler, easier, and more convenient, and that's 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 what innovation is about, isn't it? Exactly. You know, I want to know about you because. Um, one of the reasons that I asked for you to be on the show in, in representing this innovation is that, first of all, you came here from Pakistan with 100 euros in your pocket, no family, no support system, no job, not enough money to buy a car. You rode 15 miles, you told me, to your first job there and back. You even became known as the bicycle guy. What was it like in those first few uh, months when you came to the United States, having told the audience these things about you? Um, What was it like for you? How old were you? I was 19 years old when I came to the United States. I was originally born in the United States. I was born in Houston, but I left at a young age to go and live with my dad. He was working internationally. So I went from being in a very developed, uh, modern society in the United States to living in a third world. Uh, Pakistan has its challenges. How old were you when you moved to Pakistan? I was about 10 years old when I left. Mm -hmm. So I spent the majority of my adolescent teen years outside the United States. So different cultures, different customs. Uh, coming back was there was just a lot of things going on in my life I had lost my father Mm. about four months earlier four months yeah I was 19 years old and I'll never forget the date Valerie it was February 1st 2009 it was the Australian Open final for tennis fans out there and uh, Roger Federer was playing Rafael Nadal and Nadal was my dad's favorite tennis player so that was the last thing we did was watch that final and he passed away probably 20 minutes after it just sitting in his chair with you there yeah I had just stepped away to go to the bathroom wash up before bed and you know he usually had fallen asleep in his chair Mm. so I went back and and he was gone so Mm. that was the last memory I have with my dad so I'm fortunate enough to have shared a memory with him Mm. but it came as a complete shock I mean I had no idea he had health issues or anything was going on oh I'm so sorry how did you have the guts then to get up and come to the United States all alone Uh, I think it was more just a result of the situation. I didn't really have a choice. So my sister was attending UT Dallas here, um, studying her management information systems degree. Um, She was, you know, living in Dallas just for her undergraduate. So I came here 
and she was the only person I did have here. But I mean, you have to keep in mind, she's still in college or fresh out of college. Mm -hmm. So how much does a newly graduate from college make? And here I land on her doorstep and (laughs) traveling with my dad for so many years, I hadn't seen her in that time. Oh. So I left as her youngest brother, and I come back as you know a 19-year-old teen and sort of lost in my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my complete future had changed. Uh, I was wanting to become a doctor when I was living with my dad, but when he passed away, I, I just had to come back and take it a day at a time. So when you took it a day at a time, what did you have to believe to do that? It was honestly just the belief that I had something to prove to my dad in the sense that my dad was an accomplished educational person. I mean, he did his PhD in botany from Hall University, which is in England. He spent his most of his life traveling around the world, um, very well respected wherever we went. And the fact that my dad didn't even get to see me graduate from high school, mm. it sort of just resonated with me that, you know, I wanted to be able to accomplish something in my life to be like, hey, I, not that I lived up to my dad's expectations, mm-hmm. but that, hey, I, I can be respected as well from people. So that was honestly my drive was to, hey, I have to do something in life. My dad spent his whole life studying, his whole life sacrificing for his family. So I need to try to accomplish something as well. So, okay, you landed at your sister's doorstep. And then what? And then it was just a real struggle for me in terms of adapting to a different culture. I mean, I left the United States as someone who felt like an outsider Mm -hmm. going to Pakistan. And I came back feeling like an outsider in the country I was born in. I was so used to the social customs, the religious customs over there that when I came here, I I was just sort of lost. I, I don't want to say I was antisocial, but I was just almost afraid to have trust because I wasn't sure how I would be perceived by people here. Mm. So I just floated around. I tried to look for jobs. Um, I didn't want to ask my sister for help. I think it was pride, mm-hmm. too much pride that, hey, I hadn't seen her in eight years. I don't want to ask her for anything. So just walking around looking for jobs and... Uh, just door to door yeah i mean just where i lived at the time there wasn't much development so i tried gas stations i tried walmarts tried walgreens everything i mean there was nothing off limits to me i would ask the garbage man when he'd come by hey can i come work as well and he's like well unfortunately we're already full so just whatever i could to to just get an opportunity i tried to take it how did you land your first job it was just by luck i think i had sent out resumes granted with no experience um, to different recruiting companies or online forums and I managed to land a job at Wells Fargo as a teller from from sending it out as a resume or what yeah just a cover it was actually just a cover letter Uh a little bit about myself and my qualities and you know my my view of management or just what I could offer to a company and they ended up calling me and it was for a part-time position uh, so I had my interview scheduled, and I went in with no experience. I think I had only one tie and one shirt. I was going to say, what did you wear? <laughs> I just had a whatever I could at the time. It was a tie. I think it was a green tie and a white shirt. A green tie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the reason I can remember that is because I went into the interview and I was completely honest with the man who hired me. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he's very w- well respected in in banking, and he actually still works. He works for the company I work for now, Comerica, and. He hired me with no experience. I told him I had no banking experience. I I was able to count very well, but that was honest. I wouldn't steal. 
I, I'd come to work on time and I would never make excuses if I came short or if I came up short and he hired me. So I really have him to thank because he had no obligation to hire me. If I was in his position, or maybe 99% of the people out there probably wouldn't have hired me. I would love to see that resume, <laughs> one that has a lot of white space in it. Wouldn't that be interesting to compare it now? Because now you're one of the youngest, right? Yeah. Assistant Vice Presidents in Comerica. That says yeah. so much. So um, in all this time, what's the best advice that someone has given you? And who was it? I think it was my dad. When I was younger, I, I always used to ask my dad about stories mm -hmm. um, of his life, of working with so many different people from so many different countries and so many different religions and walks of life. I think the best advice he ever gave me was always show people respect, no matter who they are, where they come from, how much money they have, their status, always show them respect and you'll get respect in return. So I always try to run with that philosophy, even today. Mm -hmm. So when I meet a client or meet anybody, it doesn't matter to me if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or if you just started a, a business in your basement. I, I try to treat everyone exactly the same. I, I don't try to define someone's respect mm -hmm. by how much money they have or their status in the world, but more so I, I try to treat everyone the same and with equal amounts of respect. missing so much now. We, we, we all want that. We want to be treated with respect. You know, uh, part of my work, as you as I told you uh, before the show, is, is in personal branding and to really own who you are at your very core. If there's one word that you would say, this is my brand, this is one word I want everyone to know about AJ, what would that one word be? I think it would be empathy. Empathy. Because that's one thing I try to practice every day. How? Well, I, I have a team. I have people that, that work for me now, so I'm, I'm not a one-man show. Right. So being in a management position, I have to show that I have empathy and that I can be understanding. So you know, when I meet my employees or when I hire someone, I clearly tell them that you're not a spreadsheet to me. You know, you're, I don't define you by the red that shows up in an Excel sheet or the green. I really define someone by who they are and what they can bring to the table. So sort of like intangible qualities. So communication, um, trust motivation Soft hard work skills. exactly Soft because skills. you know i have to understand my employee at the end of the day i have to motivate them and i think a good leader is someone who can show empathy in good times and bad times mm -hmm. so you know if my employee's not performing well instead of me going up to them being like hey you know your quarter one quarter two quarter three it's it's been off it's not looking good I need you to turn it around or oh, I don't know what the future holds. Instead of saying that, I'm more likely to be like, hey, quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, it hasn't been what, what we expected. You know, what's going on? Mm. What can I do to help? Whole different question. Yeah. Well, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm worried about you. Mm -hmm. So my employees, they can feel that I genuinely care about them. And I feel that when someone genuinely feels that, you know, you respect them and care about them, they're, they're more likely to work harder for you. Yes. So that's just the approach I take when it comes to leadership. I can see where that came from in many ways. And going back to those first few days and months and so forth, you had your first job. You were riding your bicycle. Share with the audience 
the first thing that was empathetic from someone that gave you something very special for your apartment? Well, it was it was years ago. I remember I, I was biking to work. I didn't have a car at the time. I never told anybody you that didn't. I didn't have a car because I didn't want my hours to be cut. So I was riding. I'd leave my house three hours earlier. And keep in mind, this is July in the summer. It's oh hot in Texas. Goodness, yes. I would uh, freeze water bottles in the morning. I'd freeze them ice cold so that when I drove, they would melt on my back and sort of cool me down. Um, and I remember showing my boss at the time pictures of where I was, where I was living, you know, my, my room. And he asked me, he's like, you know, you don't have a bed. And I told him, no, I sleep on the floor. You know, I'm used to sleeping on the floor. It's my dad just tell me it's good for my back. So I, I never, I never saw anything into it. I thought it was okay. You know, eventually I'd build up to maybe where I could get a bed set or something. And I remember he just looked at me and he was like, you know, okay. And a few days later he came up to me and he's like, hey, I talked to my wife and we want to give you our guest bedroom set because we're, we're never using it. It's pretty much brand new. So he didn't have to do that. I didn't ask him. That's unusual. Um, and he almost forced me to take it. He said, hey, I want you to take it because you can't be sleeping on the floor. I need you to, you know, at least have a bed set. And he, he took his whole weekend to help me move it. Uh, strapped it to the top of my car, helped me build it in my house. He met my mom and, you know, he showed me that empathy, that care. Mm-hmm. And I'm still loyal to those those individuals today. You know, we may be peers mm-hmm. now or, you know, I may share the same offices as them, but for what they did for me, I'll never forget that. No. I'll never forget that. How could you forget something like that? Yeah. You know, and pay it forward. Exactly. That's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? I'm curious to know where your values were formed, and what are they? If you if you could share maybe, I don't know, three or four really strong values you have, and where'd they come from? I think for three or four really strong values, I'd have to say like integrity, um, mm-hmm. always doing what's right. So even if it's not in your best interest. Do what's right, <laughs> exactly. yes, that would be it, all right. So you know, people may define that differently. How do you define what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's moral compass is different. I think of something as right as where someone else is benefiting, not me. I'm able to help somebody else. Um, you know, integrity doing what's right, I'd mm-hmm. say is my top one. I think the second one is, like you said, passing it forward. Mm. So as a leader, I think we have the responsibility to take no credit when things go well and take all responsibility when things go wrong. And I like that. people probably think, you know, that's terrible. That, that's, that doesn't sound fun. But you gain a lot of respect that way because that, that's why we're in these positions, you know, to, to help our team succeed, to help them get to that next level. I think the third one would have to be just just hard work i i try to put in as much work as i can you know whether it's eight hours a day ten hours a day that i'm at the office i I try to work as hard as i can so that i rub off on other people so people can be like hey you know aj was that guy who worked hard rolled your sleeves up and got in there with them (laughs) my dad was like that he worked all day he never took a day off he actually worked the day he died so he worked until he was gone, and I think I'll be the same way. I, I, I love to work. Okay, so you just got married, I understand. I did. How long ago? I got married in March. In March. Yeah. So when it comes to balance, what do you think? Work, work, work? How are you going to do that? I actually think my wife 
comes first to me. So I look at my job. I don't really look at my job as a job. I look at my eight hours that I'm at Comerica that, hey, I'm trying to help somebody, whether it's financially or, you know, emotionally, whatever I could do to provide support to help my clients get to the next level. I don't look at it as a job. I look at it as an opportunity. And my wife comes first. So, you know, if she's sick or she needs more time, I'll, I'll drop everything because she's been with me for a long time. Um, you know, we dated for a while and she's now a dentist. So she sacrificed a lot to get where she is. And I would always put her above everything because I, I can't replace her. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And balance will come. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. I, um, now that you're a boss, I'm wondering if I were a, a mouse in the pocket of some of your direct reports, what would I see you doing as a leader that's maybe different from somebody else that works at a bank that has the same job you have? What are one or two differentiators about you as a boss? I think leader. it's... I think it's more that I, I always take their perspective. Mm. So I'll give you an example. I, I have some employees that work for me now. They're a little bit newer to the industry, but I listen to what they have to say when it comes to communication or maybe if I put forth an idea, I try to be the last person to talk. Because Ooh, so when I propose a goal or, or something that needs to be done, I want to hear what everyone else has to say before I say anything because I want them to feel like, you know, hey, we're, our voice is being heard. Whatever plan we come up with, I take their input because they're on the ground with me day in and day out. So their, their buy-in and their sense mm -hmm. of feeling that value and trust for me is, is crucial. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things I would do different. And the second is that every day is something different. I try not to do the same thing multiple days in a row. So to make it interesting, you know, maybe someday me and my team will, will go out and look for clients together, or maybe someday we'll send like, nice letters to them just to invite them in to see if we can have an opportunity to gain their business. So nothing is very cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. um, asking them, you know, what their opinion is or their perspective is, I think that's something I try to do. Because when I was in their position, I, there were some, some leaders I had where I felt like my voice wasn't heard. And I just promised myself when I was in a position like that, I would never do that. Sometimes we learn, AJ, what we want to do differently because, as you said, someone has not been the leader that you want them to be. Um, thinking about this new pilot branch on Hillcrest, what do you see as... Um, as a success, a year from now, what will success look like at your branch? This is your branch. You have how many direct reports? I have three direct three. reports. Okay, you and they are running that bank, besides the people behind the screen that are real people, you promised me. <laughs> <laughs> so a year from now, how, what will success look like? How will you measure it? I'll measure success as, you know, however many clients we gain in this year or you know however many people decide to do business with us that every single one of them feels content with the type of service and, and happy with what we bring to the table so i don't really have like a numerical number for my team it's just more about how they feel and how our clients feel how will you know that 
I think I, I just plain upfront ask them. So whenever I have clients at the end of an interaction, I'll, I'll ask them, what could I do better? Or how's your experience you been so far? You ask a customer coming right? in. Yeah. I walk in the bank and you're yeah. going to... That's never happened to because me. Because I understand the the importance of the customer perspective. Mm. So what could I do better? I, I don't I think I don't think a leader can ever stop learning. So I may have, you know, direct reports or maybe my direct reports in the future will grow, but I could still learn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing I don't know everything. So asking my clients what they think or what what we could do better, they they feel that I'm vested in them. They know that I'm vested in them. So I don't really have a numerical number. It's just, hey, are you guys happy coming to work? My direct reports mm-hmm. and are our clients happy with what we provide? And, and when they're happy, they're more productive. Exactly. exactly. It's really so simple, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I think people overcomplicate I success. Do too. Um, you know, you start throwing in numbers and metrics and all this. And for me, it's just a very simple idea. If people come to work happy and people come into your business happy, it'll grow on its own. You know, you are uh, you stand out from the crowd. You are a strong brand. Every year, from what I read about you and heard from your boss, is that you continue to be a top performer. Uh, that just says so much. It says a lot about Comerica, too, that they recognized early on and recruited you away from Wells Fargo. How did that happen, by the way? It was actually my boss who hired me into the company at Wells Fargo. He moved to Comerica. Okay. And I think just knowing my personality, he was like, hey, I think this company would be good for you. Um, And a lot of the people at Comerica have been, you know, influential figures in my life, whether it comes to me learning how to tie a tie or getting my driver's license. Yeah, everything that I would have learned from my parental father, like my father figure, was Uh taught by leaders in my company. So that's I've had a lot of different uh, father cool. figures at work who oh, just helped f- me progress. Yeah. That's your family now. Yeah, is that is. your family now? It is, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Before you start your own. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> this has been amazing. Is there any final thought as a leader now, a young millennial leader in the banking industry? Is there any final thought that you would leave with our listeners? I think it's just be open-minded. Everyone has a perspective. Everyone has a, a different opinion. So just be open-minded to hearing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, I don't think there's a cookie-cutter way to do business. Just evolve as time goes on and, and try to listen to what people have to say. Listen. Exactly. Listening is one of the things that in uh, in many, many companies now, they're, they're wrapping whole workshops around listening, like really listening. What is that saying? We've got to really listen. I want to thank you for thank you so being the strong brand as a, as a uh, leader that's got lots of things going for you and l- big career path ahead and likely at Comerica. What great lessons you've shared with us today. And I want to thank you for listening today and watching. I know there are tons of podcasts out there, and truly I appreciate it. I also would value you subscribing and sharing and rating and all those things you know are important in podcasts. So thank you ahead of time for doing that. Now, to get my free monthly newsletter, Valerie's Voice, all you have to do is go to 
Valerie and Company, all spelled out, dot com, Valerie and Company, dot com. And there you can sign up for the free monthly uh, Valerie's Voice newsletter with lots of tips and hopefully inspirational things about leadership. And be sure and let me know if I can help you with your presence and your brand. Now, next week, let me share with you that we will learn some intriguing ways that TD Industries, another sponsor, uh, they are a mechanical construction and facility services company, how they have partnered for 28 years with the Denton Independent School District to refine what's possible. And together, they impact their employees and their communities and their environment. It'll be a great story. We have two gentlemen that are going to be talking about that, Brian Lillard, who's vice president at TD, and uh, Dr. Jamie Wilson, who's the superintendent at the Denton ISD Independent School District. And again, thank you, DRC, for being my wonderful sponsor. We look forward to further shows from DR uh, DRC. Until next time, stay authentic, be real, and come back, y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.